you have a Bible, either a printed copy like I have here, or you have a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. When you're telling people who you are, what name do you give them? Now, I go by a number of different names. To some, I'm Dad. To others, I'm Poppy. I'm a brother. I'm a son. To my wife, Sherry, I'm Sugar Daddy. But, but on my birth certificate... On my birth certificate, I'm Donald Chester Purvis, Jr. I was named after my dad. But I didn't know that for the longest time. Because I was nicknamed Rocky when I was born. And that's the only name I knew. That's the only name I went by until I was well into junior high or middle school, as you would call it today. And that's when I realized I had another name. I mean, when people would say Donald, I would look around and I would look for Donald because I didn't know Donald. I was Rocky. Well, today, what I want us to look at is the name that God gave when he was asked the question, who are you? When people ask me, who sent me, who will I tell them sent me? And I want us to see what Jesus said about that name. And then I want us to see how that affects us, how that relates to us today. Now, and if you're new with us at Northside, we're in, we're in a study on the Gospel of John. And, and instead of going from chapter 1 to chapter 21, we're breaking up this book into to three different parts. And the first part, the part we're in right now, we're looking at pictures that reveal Jesus' nature. We're looking at these word pictures that are given to us in the Gospel of John that, that really reveal who Jesus is. And the first one is found in the very first verse of John's Gospel. John gave it to us. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on he said, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, Jesus is the Word of God who became flesh. The word that communicates who God is and, and what God is like. Now the second picture is also found in that first chapter of John. And it was given to us by John the Baptist. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus is that Lamb, the perfect Lamb that was sacrificed for the sin of the world. And unlike the lambs that were sacrificed day after day and year after year, Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And the Bible tells us that one day, all the redeemed of all the ages with the heavenly host will worship the Lamb of God. Now the next names that we are looking at are names that, that Jesus told about himself. Jesus said, I am the light 
of the world. You see, God let, lit the path of the Israelites when they were going through the wilderness so that they would know how to get to the promised land. And Jesus said, I am that light. I'm the light of the world. And when we know the light of the world, we no longer have to walk in darkness, the darkness of our sin or the darkness of this world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And just as God rained down bread from heaven, we called that manna, and the people ate that bread for 40 years, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you will never grow hungry again. You will never be thirsty again. In other words, Jesus said, I will satisfy your soul. All the things that you are looking for in life, all the places that you're turning to, to try to fill that hunger in your life, I am the one who can satisfy your soul. But today I want us to look at what Jesus said about himself. And what he said here caused the Jews to get so angry that they picked up stones. The Bible literally says in the Greek, they picked up large stones to stone him to death. Now what did he say? This is what he said. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now before we get into that significant statement, I want us to look at some truths before the truth. Because everything that happened in John chapter 8 really set the stage for what Jesus said there. And we've already looked at, at one part of John chapter 8 in this study so far. But let me just refresh your memory where we're at. The Feast of Festivals had just ended. It was the day after the Feast of Festivals, the Bible says. And Jesus is in the temple. The crowd comes up and Jesus begins to teach them. And as he is teaching them, the Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they say, the law says to stone her, what do you say? Well, Jesus didn't answer. We're going to talk about this story in detail later on, but Jesus didn't answer. He bent down, he started scribbling in the sand. We don't know what he said, but what we do know is that all of a sudden the Pharisees began to leave from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus looked up and he said to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? And, and the woman said, well, they're no longer here. They've left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. It was right after that that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. To these Pharisees that were caught up in the darkness of, of self-righteousness, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. To this woman who was caught up in sexual sin, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And it was after Jesus explained that he was the light. And what that meant, it says in verse 30, that many who heard him say these things believed in him. They began to trust in him. And it's beginning in verse 31 that we learn these truths I want to share with you before we look at the main truth. And the first truth is this. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Let me say that again. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Listen to what, what it says in verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You were truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Now, notice the condition. You are my disciples, you really belong to me if you remain faithful to my teachings. That word translated teaching 
is the Greek word logos. It's the word from which we get our word word. Jesus is saying if you continue, if you remain, if you persevere in my word, then you are really my disciple. You see, the proof that we are a disciple, the proof that we are truly a, we've been born again, we've been saved, is not that we've prayed a prayer, a sinner's prayer. It's not that we've been baptized, dunked under the water. The proof that we've truly been saved is that we continue to follow God's Word. We seek to live a life that is guided by God's Word. Listen to me. If you don't have a desire deep within your heart to live a life obedient to God's Word, then chances are you aren't saved. I want to say that again. It doesn't matter how many prayers you've prayed. It doesn't time how many times matter how many times you've been dunked. You can pray, cry crocodile tears, but if you don't have a desire to live your life obedient to God's word, then most likely you're not saved. That is a clear teaching throughout Scripture. Now that in no way implies that we can lose our salvation. But rather it is saying that when we are truly saved, we will continue. We will remain faithful. We will seek to live by God's word. Now can we falter? Can we fall? Can we stumble along the way? Can we get off track as we walk through life? Absolutely. We can mess up in horrible ways. But if we're saved, if we're really saved, the Holy Spirit will convict us and we will come back. We won't stay away from Jesus because the Spirit within us will work with the Spirit above and we will be drawn back to our Heavenly Father. Someone once said it this way, a faith that fizzles before the finish wasn't a faith at the first. And I think that's true. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 24 verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If we make it to the end, that shows that we're really saved. Now, now we talked last week that our making it to the end isn't dependent upon our ability to hold on to God. It's dependent upon God's ability to hold on to us. But here's the deal. If you've really been saved, if God's Spirit is living within you, you have a desire to live obedient to Jesus and His Word. And so it's not a matter of how you start, the prayers you pray, that you started off strong, you used to do this, you used to do that. The question is, how are you going to finish the race? Here's the second truth. The truth will set you free. Now, listen to verse 32. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, at this, the Jews said, we've never been slaves to anyone. Now, that was the most foolish thing they could possibly say. Evidently, they forgot that they were enslaved in Egypt, that they were slaves. They had to build the pyramids because they were slaves. Evidently, they forgot that after they became a great nation and they sinned against God, the Assyrians came and took many of them away into captivity, scattered them all across the earth. They must have forgotten that the Babylonians came in destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the walls, destroyed the temple, destroyed the buildings, and took many of them into captivity in Babylon. And, and they evidently forgot that right then, at that time, they were in bondage to the Romans. The Romans were in control of them. But here's what I've discovered. Proud people have a difficult time seeing, much less admitting, 
their failures. But Jesus didn't even deal with that. There was a more important issue at stake. They were slaves to sin. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 34. He said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If we sin, we're a slave to sin. And unfortunately, the Jews were blind to this as well. But the reality is, many of us today are no different than they were back then. We say things like, well, I'm a good person. Compared to him, I'm really good. And we fail to see that in God's eyes, each and every one of us are sinners through and through, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. The Bible says all have sinned and and all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says no one is good, not even one of us. The Bible says our best righteousness or efforts are like filthy rags. And you may say, well, Rocky, what is sin exactly? Well, sin is when we go against our Creator, when we break His laws, when we choose our ways instead of His ways, when we fail to live our life under His rule and His reign. That is sin. And we've all done that. Every single one of us, just like these Jewish religious leaders that Jesus was talking to here. And our sin always leads to bondage. And we've become slaves to sin. And the reality is there's only one that can set us free from the power of sin. And that's Jesus. You you see, you can't break free from the power of sin by your your self-effort. By your works and deeds. The only one that can break the chains that bind you into sin is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now from here, they began to talk about who their father was. And in these verses, Jesus made it clear to these religious leaders that they were indeed descendants of Abraham by birth, but they were not part of Abraham's spiritual lineage. Abraham was not really their father. The Jews claimed to be from Abraham, but they were totally unlike Abraham. And that's when Jesus made a startling claim that caused him to explode with anger. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. And that's true, isn't it? It's true today just like it was then. I mean, if if God is our father, we're going to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to hear that. If God's your father, you will love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what is the truth here? The truth is not everyone has God as their father. Notice verse 44, Jesus said, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. Many of us have this idea that God is the father of everyone, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's just not true. The Bible says that many people have the devil as their father. The only way that God is your father is for you to be born into his family. That's the only way. You've got to be born again through the power of God's Spirit. You were born into God's family and you become a part of God's family and God becomes your father. Paul said that we are adopted into God's family. But either way, whether we want to use the picture of being born or being adopted, God becomes our father when we become a part of his family. And these Jews, they they didn't have God as, as their father. They weren't living for his glory and his honor. And then 
they began to call Jesus names. They said that he was demon-possessed, and it was here that Jesus shared this fourth truth. And the fourth truth is this. Those who know Jesus and follow Jesus will never die. Listen to what he said in verse 51. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teachings will never die. Now this really set the Jews off because this was a bold claim because Abraham had died, the prophets had died, and yet Jesus was saying, if you keep my words, you will never die. Now Jesus wasn't talking about physical death. I mean, everyone who lives will die because of sin. The only way we won't die physically is if Jesus comes back before we die. Jesus was talking about spiritual life, and that's true. When we believe in Jesus, we will never die spiritually. Jesus told the same thing to Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus had died. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will never die. You and I have a life that is beyond this life. You and I who have Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have a life that is beyond flesh and blood. We have a hope of eternal life and a new heaven and a new earth. A life that is far better than anything we can ever experience here. Now it was here that that the Jews asked Jesus if he was claiming to be greater than Abraham. And this is where we see the truth. Perhaps the boldest claim that Jesus made in Scripture. I want you to listen to what it says beginning in verse 56. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Now, to better understand what Jesus was saying and the response of the Jews, we need to go back to the story of Moses and the burning bush. That story is found in in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was, was a Jew that was born in captivity in Egypt, and because of an edict from Pharaoh, all the boys who were two years of age or younger to be put to death. But Moses' parents built this little ark, this little boat, and they put Moses in that boat in the Nile River, and Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter took Moses to her home and raised him as her own child. He was literally like Pharaoh's grandson. He was educated in the, the way of the Egyptian. He was living as an Egyptian, but he was still an Israelite. And one day he saw one of the Egyptian taskmasters being cruel to an Egyptian, and he killed him. When Pharaoh heard about it, Moses had to flee. So he fled out into the wilderness and began to live a life as a shepherd. And so one day he was tending his sheep at the base of Mount Sinai when he saw a bush that was burning. But it didn't burn up. And just like any of us would probably be, he was curious. He wanted to explore this. He wanted to see what was going on, what was happening. And so he went close to the bush, and a a voice from the bush said, Take off your shoes, because you're on holy ground. It was at that point that, that God began his call upon Moses' life. And Moses 
protested that call. He didn't want to do what God told him to do. Well, in verse 13, this is what it said. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then why should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. You see, when Jesus said, I am, he wasn't just saying that he pre-existed Abraham. He was saying that before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus was saying here is he was saying, I am the God who appeared to Moses in that burning bush. The God who lives forever and ever. That's who I am. He was taking the name that God had given himself. The I am. Now that name for God is used almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It's used 698 times in the book of Psalms alone. Now in the Hebrew language, that word for God, I am, has four letters. They're all consonants. There are no vowels. And, and so it was unpronounceable. It was viewed as the unspeakable name. But the Jews took the vowels from another name from God, Adonai. Adonai means Lord, Master, Sovereign. And they took the vowels from Adonai, they combined it with these four consonants, and so now they had a name that could be pronounced, Yahweh. And in English, we translate that word Jehovah. Of all the names of God, I Am was the greatest to the Jews. If someone was reading the scriptures in the synagogue and they came to the name I am, they would not read it out loud. When they would come to that name, they would bow their head in worship. And the people in the synagogue would know they came to the name. And they would all bow their head in worship. That's how holy the name I am was to the Jews. And the Jews knew that Jesus was using the name God gave for himself, the most holy of names to describe who he was. But this isn't the only time that Jesus called himself, I am. In Matthew chapter 14, the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee by themselves. A storm came up and, and in the midst of that storm, they looked and they saw someone walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost is what the Bible says. But Jesus cried out to them, do not be afraid, take courage, I am. He didn't say, do not be afraid, take courage, it's me, Jesus. He said, do not be afraid, take courage, I am is with you. In John chapter 18, when, when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus said, who do you see? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. He didn't say, I am he. 
if you're reading in the King James, they'll have a he there, but it's in italics. It's in italics because it's not in the Greek. Jesus said, I am. And the Bible says they all fell back. Why? Because they were in the presence of the great I am. When Jesus appeared before the Sanhedrin at his trial, they asked him, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am. And at that that time, he wasn't just saying, I am the Messiah. He was saying, I am the God who appeared to Moses. I am the God who stood with Abraham. I am that I am. And the Bible says the high priest tore his clothes because he said Jesus was committing blasphemy. Jesus is is the I am. Now what does that mean to us? The I am, first of all, is, is personal. You see, the I am, the great I am is not an it. The great I am is not some some impersonal force. The great I am is a personal God. You see, there are many people that believe that Jesus is just the force out there in the universe. The Hindus believe that. They believe that that God is this force in the world and, and each of us have a little bit of that force within us. By the way, that's where the the movie Star Wars gets that idea of the force. It's from Hindu teaching. But Jesus isn't a force. He's not the force. He is a personal God. Whenever the name God is interpreted in Scripture, it's always in the masculine. It's never it. It's never she. God is described as a he, a person. God is a personal God and he wants a personal relationship with us second God is a present God he didn't say I was he didn't say I will be he said I am I want to share something with you God has no past God has no future God has no yesterday God has no tomorrow everything about God is now God is the eternal now. Now you and I have a hard time understanding that and relating to that because we live our life and we look at life linearly. In other words, there is a moment when we are born and there is a moment when we die and our life consists of that line between the point of birth and the point of death. But Jesus has no beginning. He has no ending he is the eternal now now why is that important to us well because what God has said will happen in the future the things that you and I are waiting to happen he isn't waiting for them to happen they've already happened that's why do you remember the apostle Paul saying that before the foundation of the world the lamb of God was slain how could he say before the foundation of the world the lamb Well, the reason is he is the eternal now. Before God ever created us, he knew that we would sin against him. He knew that his son Jesus would have to be that sacrifice. Everything is in the noun with God. He is the ever-present God. He's preeminent. He's not just the I am. He is the I am that I am. It is God who declares who he is. God is not who you say he is. God is not who you think he is. God is not who you want him to be. 
What God is saying with the great I am is he's saying, you don't define me. I define myself. Fourth, God is immutable. The I am is immutable. That means that he is the same eternally. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't change his responses. God does. It means that God never changes his nature. Now, some of you are saying, what do you mean God doesn't change his responses? Well, God does change his responses. Let me give you an example. In Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse 7, God is telling the people how he is going to respond if the people do a certain thing. But then he says, but if they do this, this is how I'm going to respond. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, the reluctant missionary, remember him? God told Jonah to go and, and tell Nineveh that I'm going to destroy them. Jonah didn't want to go, so he ran and swallowed by large fish, thrown up, and finally went to Nineveh, and he preached that message, God's going to destroy the city. You remember what the Ninevites did? They repented. They begged God to be merciful to them, to forgive them. You know what God did? God forgave them. He relented. You see, God's response changed based upon their response. Now, did God know how they were going to respond? Yes. But you need to understand that God's response in our time is based upon our response to God. And so God's nature never changes. But God's response to us can change. That's why when we read in Scripture, God changed his mind, God relented. Some translations say God repented. It's not saying that God changed his nature. God can't do that. But what it does mean is God changed his response based upon our response. God is immutable. Finally, God is self-existent. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God. Before there was anything there was God. God is the only thing. He is the only one in eternity who is self-existent. Everything else, everyone else owes their existence to God. Without God, there's nothing. Before God, there was only God. And the only reason we're here today is because of God. God is self-existent. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. There are some people that say God created us because he was lonely and he wanted a relationship with us. That's the craziest thing in the world. That almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, was lonely and needed you. First of all, God has lived in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. God's not lonely. But if God was lonely, which he never could be, he had a number of different ways to, to fix that loneliness. Understand, God didn't create you because he needed you. He created us because he wanted to give us the privilege of experiencing his glory and his love and his mercy and his grace. That's why he created us. So what does this mean to you today? Three things. First of all, you don't get to determine what God is like. Occasionally I'll hear people say, well, I think God is like. And then we fill in the blank, don't we? I think God is all loving and he's going to let everybody go to heaven because God loves. 
or I think God accepts everyone in every lifestyle. And so, therefore, I think this is okay. Let me tell you, you don't get to decide what God is like. God decides, God determines what God is like. And that is revealed to us in God's holy word, Scripture. And so quit saying foolish things like, I think God is like. It doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what the Bible says about God. So you don't get to determine what God is like. Only God can do that. The second thing, God will do what he's promised. That's good news. And so what that means is when you come across a promise in Scripture, you can write it down. If God's promised it, he's going to do it. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so when we read prophecies in Scripture that haven't yet happened, we can put them in the date book. They're going to happen. The Bible says the next greatest event that's going to take place is the rapture of the church, when God calls his children home. And then the world is going to go into a time of terrible tribulation. Some say that's not going to happen. Oh, write it down. Put it in your date book. It's going to happen. What God said is going to take place, will take place. And third, God doesn't need you, but he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. You see, God is love. And God created you because he wanted you to experience his glory. And he wanted to pour his love out on you. It's amazing. That's unfathomable to me. The God who has everything. The God who needs nothing created us so that he could pour his love out on us. And you know what's terrible? You know what's heartbreaking? There's some of you probably in this room today who you don't have a clue about the love of God. You've never experienced what it's like to have your sins forgiven. To have your slate wiped clean. To be given a fresh start. To be loved by your Creator unconditionally. To be called His son or His daughter. And that's what God longs to give you today. Not because He needs you. just loves you and he wants you to experience his love so do you know him have you given your heart and life to him if you're here this morning and you haven't there's nothing more important for you to do today I want you to bow your head I want you to close your eyes and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior and Lord and I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and give you assurance that you're saved or the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and convict you of sin in your life that you're not saved and so if you're here this morning you're going I, I don't know whether I'm saved or not then I'm, I'm here to tell you chances are you're not and if you want to be it's time to just totally surrender to the one who created everything and yet loves you 
with all of his heart. So if that's what you would like this morning, I encourage you to, with a humble heart, but with all your heart, pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've lived life my way instead of yours. I've acted as if I were on the throne. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe you rose from the grave to set me free. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Take control. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And with your head still bowed, your